I'm here with uh, Christina Barbara, and she's with the Culture Project. You're the president, is that right? Yes, sir. Tell us, uh, describe the Culture Project and the, the scope of your work. Thanks, Father Mark. Um, the Culture Project. The Culture Project is really an initiative of young adult Catholics that have a great grand goal to restore our culture to right order through virtue. Uh, we're young adults that take a one-year-at-a-time commitment to live in community, pray together, to receive formation, and then to go out to other young people speaking about human dignity, sexual integrity, virtue, and basically inviting young men and women that we encounter to join us in living lives of virtue. And you're based in Philadelphia? And, but you all live in community. Describe that, your houses and how they work. Sure. So Philadelphia is our headquarters. But we actually have hubs in a couple other places now in the U.S. So we have a hub in the West Coast in L.A. and another hub in Toledo, Ohio. And then we have another team that actually travels across the country. So um, our missionaries receive all their formation, all of us together for two months, but then we get sent in mission teams, about five to six young adults at a time. And we do live in an intentional community. It's men and women. So depending on the location that we have, the men and women are either in the same vicinity with, you know, separate appropriate separate space or else they're in homes right near each other and we have a male community and then a female community and we every day uh, attend mass together make a Eucharistic holy hour together share our meals together whenever is possible and then we actually go out on mission together at least two by two sometimes the whole team at a time the complementarity between the sexes is like really a, a big thing of um, our mission and actually modeling that so living it out ourselves learning to be brother and sister and to love each other in non-romantic ways necessarily, but just like friendship in personal ways, and, and then um, to share that with other young people. And the formation you mentioned, uh, you have priests or lay people or, or fellow members do that? How does that work? Our formation is one of my most favorite times. So our whole staff, all of our senior staff, all of our leadership, we're all together for essentially two months, and we have a lot of help. So it's in-house, but then also we have experts in different fields that come in and give us talks. So experts on on debate, on on rhetoric, um, on then on the content, like the topics. So on same-sex attraction, on gender dysphoria, on abortion. Um, we have counselors, we have doctors, and then we also obviously have priests, a lot of good priests. The Benedictine monks of St. Vincent Arch Abbey um, in Latrobe, Pennsylvania have been huge formators to us. So we'll spend two weeks all together at the monastery at the beginning of the mission year, and we'll do a retreat and orientation there, and we do a lot of human formation. So working on like starting with self-knowledge um, and just trying to understand our own selves, strengths and weaknesses, and then the people that we're working with. So we have a lot of great priests that have, um, so the Benedictines are huge, but then just different diocesan priests along the way. Um, sometimes we have a couple Franciscans, some Dominicans that will hop in. So whenever we find great people that have uh, some expertise to offer, whether it's, it's spiritual um, or some guidance, we, we gladly take it. And then the target group that you all speak to is mostly high schoolers or it's parish missions as well? Or? Well, that's a great question. Basically, youth and young adults of today. So we start with middle school, actually. So middle school and high school would probably be the majority of the youth that we speak to. Um, also, uh, university students as well and different young adults. We also have a ministry to parents, giving talks and presentations to them. Um, but it's not just limited to the school setting. So we also speak at at parishes, youth groups, um, religious ed programs. So 
basically wherever we can find the youth, wherever we're invited, we happily take the invitation. Sometimes, is it mostly Catholic schools then? Or? Mostly Catholic schools, but we're not limited to. So I like to think of the Culture Project as being unabashedly Catholic um, in the best sense of the way, and little c Catholic too. So it's, it's that universal message. So everything we're teaching is applicable to the human heart everywhere. Sometimes we forget that being Catholic is, well, for everyone. So our message usually translates into even public school settings. So we've had a few opportunities to, to speak in public schools or more secular settings, and we totally take them, but it's not our primary audience. And it, is Archbishop Chaput, is he kind of your f help found you? Oh, gosh, I love Archbishop Chaput. So he has been instrumental to the beginning of the Culture Project. So um, I went to him in the very, very beginning with, with an idea and a dream, and he has done nothing but support us. So gave us a home, really in Philadelphia, actually physically at at the seminary, where he actually lives as well, St. Charles Borromeo Seminary, and we have our office and our headquarters there. Mm. And then he's been just a great source of consolation, um, counsel advice, um, just a great supporter of our mission. But your house is f not close, it's far from there? Or? Yeah, we don't actually like live in the seminary, yeah. so I, but our, our headquarters is there. So um, typically we'll have like, you know, a in Philly, historically, we've had like a guy's house and a girl's house, yeah. but actually close to the seminary. Um, yeah, it's not, not far at all. Yeah, I know they're moving out of that seminary. I was wondering, are you guys going to take that over? <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to take that over. So if anyone out there has, you know, like $100 million or so and wants to preserve a beautiful place in the church, just let me know and we'll, we'll, we'll buy that and we'll open up a cultural center and everyone is welcome. So we'll see what happens, though. But I think it'll, it, it takes a little time it's not moving super quickly and um, I've just been assured we have a home as long as it's as long as it's ours and then we'll see I don't worry about too far in advance and then the title culture project how did you choose that well it was very intentional um, we wanted a name that was a little bit ambiguous so you hear it and you're like what exactly do they do we want that we want the questions we want to draw people in um, and actually really seeing that we want cultural change, a cultural shift, and we really believe that we've got the, the key with, within our faith and um, that really person to person, one person at a time, one heart at a time, one soul at a time, starting with ourselves, starting with me, um, we can actually affect a grand change. And also the idea of culture being a, like a, a, a bigger thing, like even including like beauty and, and um, like the arts and kind of seeing that there are other avenues. Um, really believing, I really believe in our art, the Culture Project team really believes that in evangelization today, you actually really have to lead with beauty and then truth and goodness follow just because there's such a jadedness and such a lack of trust in the fact that there even is universal truth and actually a lack of trust in goodness and a lack of trust in church hierarchy and authority. But beauty... There still is like an openness to beauty and there's like an objectivity that for the most part people will acknowledge. Mm -hmm. So um, we kind of like to use that beauty first. So all of our events, all of our talks, we really try to create like an atmosphere and an ambiance that's beautiful, like mm -hmm. creating a culture um, that you walk into. And then um, and then also the culture of our community. Um, it's, it's families build up culture, people build up culture in society. So we're trying to just in very simple ways each of us, you know, one person at a time in our little community at a time, creating like a little subculture, mm -hmm. but then not sticking to it, actually going out and joining society and then inviting others in. 
Yeah, we, we just had a, a local family. Um, the, the man died. He's, he was like 89. His wife died a year and a half ago. And, and I just noticed, like, at his house, they just sort of drew people to them. And, and some of them were struggling, kind of a little bit marginalized in some ways. And, uh, but they were plugging in to that family, community type thing. And that's what always struck me about your group was that uh, you all live that community life and then go out. And maybe, maybe if they're not visiting your house, they could probably still sense a community in your speakers and things, presenters. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I love that you see that and feel that. So actually, we often, though, do host often, like people. Uh, it's it just, I think, so important to actually create that space. Um, so we actually, where we have like hubs a little bit more, we'll have young adult parties, even mm. just a party, just mm. a party, just mm. fun. There isn't even a set talk or a presentation, but it's a place that they know they can come for wholesome good time and there's music and you know people might even have a drink or two and have fun but there's like this community sense and you know it's a safe place and you know that you're going to have a fun good time but also like a a wholesome time and actually you might come away feeling a little bit more yourself um, and have learned something but so we yeah we actually host events often and have people to come and join us for meals and join Mm -hmm. us for events and then um, we try to join things that are happening in the local community so often we'll bring our community to others Um, even you know young Catholic professionals that's really really big um, now in the states will wherever we have missionaries that there's a YPC chapter will go to those events but we even notice that we bring almost like a, a, a culture there like this feel and then we build something really together um, I think people can sense it and even um, even in our training I love this we'll we'll go out during our training time out to like a local bar to like a club or something now we specifically pick where we're going we're very careful but we actually are training our missionaries how do you interact in the world as a normal young adult and we bring our community and our culture to these secular places and inevitably always father mark people will be drawn to us so we'll we'll even go out on the dance floor and people first of all will clear out and it's like just our group like 30 of us kind of dancing but then they sit and watch us and then slowly join. And we've had people say, we've never seen a group of like people our age like just having so much fun or dancing in a way. I'm not even talking like swing dancing or formal dancing, just, you know, normal fun. And they see these people having normal fun and guys and girls together, like interacting as men and women, but nothing's out of control. No one's drunk. No one's, you know, using each other. There's just this pure joy. And it's so cool because people are drawn. And then by the end of the night, we'll have people that are following us around, talking. And then you have the deeper even conversations, spiritual. Sometimes you're praying with people. But it all starts from just having fun together, being ourselves, sharing our community, sharing our like our little culture. It's it's amazing the effect that that has. It's, um, to me, those are like really, really fun moments. And it's cool to see what's lacking because we're not doing anything extraordinary. It's just simple. We're just being ourselves and we're having fun. But um, I'm realizing this, and I've been saying this a lot lately, realizing that the ordinary is actually super extraordinary today. Mm -hmm. So just by like living an ordinary, simple life, trying to do the good, Mm -hmm. it actually has an extraordinary impact. You know, I noticed that at World Youth Days, especially in Germany, I remember there was a group of Africans, um, and they were actually doing like some cultural dancing, and they had just formed like this big Congo line that was drawing all these other young people. And it was, yeah, it was totally non, it wasn't like kind of dancing like we think in America, so many overtones, but uh, 
you know, it was just, uh, it had a purity about it, and it just had a way of bringing people together, and it seems to be like an African gift, I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but when you're on your talks to present beauty, does that include, like, uh, music or something, or how does that work? Yeah, so I think we're just beginning kind of to really dapple mm -hmm. into the arts, but what we want to do is just open up people's idea that, um, that things like music and art and whatnot, all of those things, there can be really an objective beauty and there's a drawing and a staying power. Mm -hmm. There's something about music, um, even catching lyrics. Like, mm -hmm. uh, So I guess with the youth, we try to draw attention right. to the power right. of, of really music, the right. power of the arts, and also of like social media mm -hmm. um, to kind of draw attention and then to kind of pause because a lot of times they're taking in the youth of today so many just like degrading things really without even fully realizing it mm -hmm. so we kind of try to pause draw some attention and then maybe try to fill in some of those gaps with like more positive things so without like trash talking it because a lot of them don't know better I mean that's really the truth for so many of these things even a life of virtue they haven't been taught and they don't really know better like deep deep inside something is like mm -hmm. this is off but they need it they need attention drawn so we try to kind of just pause, draw the attention, mm -hmm. and then offer some more uplifting, maybe more beautiful options in, in, in music and art and in, in media, really, because mm -hmm. that's what they're consuming the most. It's really the social media. And some of the, the content of your talks, um, like how, how do you reach like young people about the homosexuality issue? And that seems like such a wall to, to get over. Yeah, well, so, so um, everything dealing with like same-sex attraction and, and gender identity confusion and gender dysphoria, these topics are just rising up. Mm -hmm. And frankly, they're the topics that if we started with Q&A when we went in a classroom, they would just, those would be the only questions we get and it would halt yeah. our entire presentation. Yeah. So we've actually learned to have a separate Q&A day, which is, which is a, a good move. But knowing that those issues are at the forefront of their hearts and their minds, we want to make sure we address them. So um, I think... What helps us is we try to give our missionaries a really good formation so they receive so much more in their formation than we actually formally give in our talks so that they have a better knowledge and more data to pull from. Um, but one of the main things we focus on um, with all of our all the topics with our missionaries is it's not about winning an argument and it's actually not about apologetics. So we want to know the apologetics. We want to know all of the points and we know we have the truth. But our aim going into the classroom or encountering these youth is not to um, win an argument or a debate. It's actually to love. Mm -hmm. it, it's to love and to have an encounter with these young people, to see them, to acknowledge them, um, to love them with Christ's love even for like a moment or two mm -hmm. in our weakness, and then to like slowly distill and to share the truth as the questions come. So with, with the issues the hot button issues of today with same-sex attraction and gender identity, um, we try to just put it all in that context mm -hmm. and in the context of love and identity. And the cool thing is when you focus on identity and dignity and like mm -hmm. our purpose mm -hmm. and you know the purpose of every human being created out of love and for love, it, it like diffuses so much because every single human is called to that. Every human heart longs for it. So it's, we're all in this together, no matter what your struggles are, whether they're sexual or not, whether they're your orientation or not, whether we all have struggles. We all, it's hard for all of us to live lives of virtue and especially like mastering our sexuality and our identity is tough for all of us. So kind of going back to like, this is the human struggle. This is the human journey. And then actually building up 
our identity and dignity and that no matter what we were willed by God, wanted by God, created out of love, for love, I can't tell you, these young people don't hear this stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. And just hearing that is so soothing. Um, and I think also to remind them that, again, we're all we're all on this journey together. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the power of being single laymen and women that are actually giving the talks and presentations is that we're, like, none of us know where we're going to end up. And e- even for me, I- I'm grateful to God to have, um, it wasn't my original thought or plan to, to be single up until this point in my life and not what I really wanted, but um, to actually get to be like, I'm in the same boat, actually. So, like, I don't know if I'll, I want to be married. I don't know if I'll ever be married. I have a desire to love, and I have to learn how to order that desire to love. Um, and so being literally in that place and then inviting others, like, no matter what your struggle is, whoever you're attracted to, we got to order that desire of attraction to love. Um, so I think starting from that common point and then how do we order our attractions? How do we order our desires for the good of other and to not be selfish with it and to be self-gift and to realize like, even if you are, you have attractions to someone that you can't mm-hmm. be intimate with. Okay. Like, yeah. are you not supposed to love? Is your life worthless? <laughs> like, do you not have intimacy? Like, how does that work? It's like, we just have such a skewy vision, I think, of, of love and think that it's just this romantic, passionate attachment. And then we forget, like, the real aim of love and, you know, to lay down one's life for one's friend to will the good of the other. So anyway, that was a really long-winded answer. But I, I think the approach is to not focus so much on uh, each of those issues and what you can and can't do, but to focus on on the dignity and, and the call of, of each person and to really, I think, encourage people to love and uh, and that we're all in it together. We're all struggling to love well together. We're all struggling to, to master ourselves and to be the best versions of ourselves. Yeah. I, I was just reading um, this young woman's got a Twitter feed and she's Catholic and trying to live a chaste life. I, I think she came out of a lesbian lifestyle or something and uh, she wrote this open letter to Father James Martin about um, it's a really catchy title. It's "Stop It, You're Hurting Me" or something. And the content of the letter, the heart of it was that you know, don't reduce me just to my sexual attraction. You know, I'm more than that. And it was like this kind of chastity approach to the topic. I, I've heard Dan Matson speak on it too about just to call to holiness and and living that. Um, that that was a way to communicate the message in a way people could receive it you know that we're more than just our sexual attraction you know and you're human persons that have this or have a fallen disordered attraction whatever but it's not everything you can say about us and and that our culture seems to exalt this is the highest value you know if you're not maximizing this aspect of your life then it's like um you know that, that just seems like the core value for our culture today Oh, yeah, no, completely agree. I think that's the right the right yeah. approach. I mean, to be seen and reminded of the call to holiness and the call to love. And, and then you, you know, okay, how do you do it? You know, yeah. and then obviously chastity is a part of that. But right. chastity is a part of what each of us are. We're trying to integrate our sexuality. Right. Right. Each of us are. What about the topic of marriage? I know um, pe- young people are having a hard time getting married today. And, and even you see, like, I think... Still, polls show that young people want to get married, but it seems like um, some cases they don't, you know. (laughs) What do you tell people about that almost to convince them to get married? Yeah, that's a real problem, a tricky issue today. Um, 
I think it's it's good to try to go to the root. Like, why is that the case? And I think especially when you're looking at the millennials, they've come in, they've come from a background of not being able to trust family and marriage. And even those that came from those good households, um, since divorce has become so like spread um, and so normalized, people have been taught you can do something to get kicked out of a family. So there's this distrust, like, uh, and there's a fear, and they don't want to mess it up. So I think it's because we still value deep down inside. We all know we want that, like, lifelong commitment and that idea of marriage, but we're, like, afraid that we're not going to get it or it's not possible. So there's this guardedness and woundedness towards it. So I think it's good to try to address the root as to to why we're afraid. Um, But then... You know, I think it's to provide models wherever we can, the, the good models um, of just normal men and women that are set out on a journey of marriage that have made this crazy, wild, lifelong commitment to each other, which is, and I also like to say, it is kind of irrational by human standards. Like, let's just call spade a spade. Like, it, it's kind of irrational. Why? Why? Especially the way we're living. Why would you choose to commit yourself? And people are living together anyway and having all the, let's say, joy of marriage, but without the commitment, why would you get involved with a commitment. But, well, even um, the apostles said that when Jesus presents the teaching on a divorce, you know, how can you, how can anyone do this? <laughs> yeah, no, but it, it's good to like acknowledge. It's kind of crazy and wild here, but we still like yearn for that. Right, There's something right. about it. Um, so I don't know. I think it's a, it's an interesting topic. We have to address, yeah, that it's kind of crazy and wild, but then there are people that are, are doing this. And I look to the, I have many, um, <clears throat> many friends that are great examples and they're, believe me, ordinary, regular men and women, and they have their struggles and their ups and downs, but trying to put them in touch with, to mentor other young adults. So even like my missionaries, for example, I like to introduce them to my my friends that are these happily married, normal, good, healthy couples, so they can see concrete examples, because the young people today, a lot of them don't have those concrete examples, and it seems like impossible to them. So I think it's just trying to really be like the body of Christ and to come together and to show those examples and to say like the desires of your heart like it is possible it is kind of crazy it is going to be a hard ride but it's possible and it's also worth waiting for though the the right really the right person and the right spouse so some people are go you can be too picky well you know you don't want to be picky and silly standards but if someone isn't capable of marriage or ready if they're not free enough and able to give themselves better not to marry because then you do perpetuate the cycle. So, but when you you meet someone that is free and capable of marriage and you're able to and and you want to move forward, it's it it shouldn't be so complicated. A, a good priest um Monsignor Riley, a friend in New York, he's a awesome pro-lifer, started the Helpers of God's Precious Infants. I used to take um, missionaries up there to train with him, and I remember him saying, you young people get so stressed out about this over-discernment today. Like, a vocation, it's, it's really simple. There's just a couple things. Number one, do you want to do it? Do you want to do this this desire of your heart? Do you, what, what, you want to do this vocation? Okay. Are you capable of doing this vocation? And is there a concrete opportunity? If those things all come together, just do it. I was like... <laughs> Oh, yeah, okay. So I, I think we do need some of these like simpler approaches because we, we do overcomplicate it a little bit. Um, but there's good reason, and there's, there's fear, and a lot of people aren't capable of marriage today. So sometimes it means courage to say, like, no, we have to end this relationship um, and, and then to move on. So it's, it is, it's complicated. It's a touchy issue. There's a lot of, of hurt. But I think we have to just acknowledge the reality and then give people like that nudge and that courage that, it's possible, and, and with God and with, with good discernment, 
why not go for it, you know? And really, that's how our world's going to change. I mean, and all the, all the vocations need each other, but we all depend on marriage and family. I mean, without marriage and family being solid and stable, where are priests and religions going to come from? Do priests grow on trees? I don't know. So, I mean, we, we, need, we all need marriage and family to, to be in the right order, and we all need courageous men and women. Um, I know I've encouraged friends, especially when they get engaged, and it's really, I see a couple that's just has it. They understand what they're doing and they're ready. And I, I just thank them. Like, that's what I do. I, just, I thank them for having the courage to say yes. And I tell them that they give me hope, you know, hope that it is possible, hope, hope and love. Yeah. And, and it's, so I think it's like whenever we can encourage those that are taking that step too, because the young couples, they actually need a lot of support and encouragement yeah. to keep moving forward. And there's so many, there's so many good audio blogs too about married life. A lot of Catholics, you know, are doing blogs and things. And, uh, and I find that powerful because they witness. You get to peer into their life a little bit and and hear hear them talk about the, the marriage life, and I think it's compelling to people. Um, but you're right; it's everything. It's the fundamental cell of society. And uh, so, if a young person is interested in your group, what's the best way to contact you to get a hold of you all? Well, I think if you find us online, it's probably the best. So we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a blog, all of those things, Snapchat, you name it. We're on all of it. Um, our website, though, is a, is a great hub. So it's restoreculture.com, one word, restoreculture.com. And on the website, you can um, see more information about getting involved and actually how to apply. And actually, an application to the Culture Project is not a commitment. It's just learning more information. So if you kind of put more, put some info out there, we'll give you a call and then we'll just, we start the process and we have some phone calls and some dialogue to see, to make sure you understand and to answer your questions and then, and then we continue to move forward. Thanks so much for chatting with us. Thanks for having me, Father.